You're listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Backstage at Lyric features in-depth interviews with singers, conductors, and creative talents at one of the world's great opera companies. For additional podcast interviews, subscribe to our RSS feed or visit us online at lyricopera.org. American bass baritone John Rellier is backstage at Lyric. There is such a magnitude and power to the piece, and the music in itself is, is almost cinematographic. It's just really so uh, vivid, uh, and, the, and yet at the same time it can be something very dark and visceral and ethereal in, in another scene. Thank you for downloading this episode of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Roger Pines of Lyric Opera of Chicago. John Rellier is making his lyric opera debut as Mephistopheles in The Damnation of Faust, the company's first production of any work by Hector Berlioz. Mephistopheles is a role that brought Mr. Rellier great success last season at the Metropolitan Opera, where he's become a favorite artist. He's also appeared in many other international houses, and he's been honored with both the Beverly Sills Award and the Richard Tucker Award. I recently had the pleasure of talking with Mr. Relier about his role at Lyric and other highlights of his career. But before we get to that conversation, here's a synopsis of The Damnation of Faust. The disillusioned philosopher Faust is about to commit suicide when the strains of an Easter hymn revive his will to live. Suddenly the devil, Mephistopheles, appears, and Faust agrees to go off on a journey with him. He conjures up a vision of Marguerite to enchant Faust. The two travel to her town and eventually hide in her house. Marguerite, who has been dreaming of Faust, is astonished when he reveals his identity. Mephistopheles informs Faust that they must leave because Marguerite's mother and the townspeople will shortly appear. Eventually, the despairing Marguerite, whom Faust has abandoned, accidentally kills her mother with too much sleeping draft and is sentenced to death. Mephistopheles promises to save her, but only after Faust signs a document relinquishing his soul. He thinks they're about to save Marguerite, but he then grows terrified when he sees grotesque visions. He and Mephistopheles travel through a landscape that grows increasingly horrible. Mephistopheles cries out to his infernal cohorts, and he and Faust fall into the pit of hell. Marguerite is saved from damnation and brought to heaven by angels. Now on to my conversation with bass baritone John Relier. I hope you enjoy it. I'm here with John Relier, who is making his lyric opera debut as Mephistopheles in The Damnation of Faust. Hi, John. Hello. How are you? Um, I'm very well, and I was uh, excited earlier today to listen to your first rehearsal with the orchestra, which was terrific. It's always a treat once you get to the orchestra because when you, you you work with piano for a while and Berlioz, you you almost forget the scale of his orchestration and and the colors that come out when when you hear the orchestra like so so few other composers can do. The most important question, since the Gounod Faust is so fresh in our audience's mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. can you compare this Berlioz Devil, Damnation of Faust, with the Gounod Devil of Faust? Well, you know, the way the story is told is is slightly different with a, a couple key points. In 
in in the fact that with the the Guno, the agreement and the signing of the contract takes place in the very first scene that they meet, whereas in the Berlioz, it um, it happens at the very end. Faust signs the contract so that he can save Marguerite. So in the in the, the Guno, because this this agreement is signed right away, uh, Mephisto is takes on the role of servant more, whereas in the uh, Berlioz. Uh, he uh, is more of the guide, taking him through all these these rapid changes of of scene and. Uh, so does he just say to Faust, "Come with me on a great yeah, journey"? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's he almost has to kind of sell him on all all of these things of these these great passions of life and all the debauchery. He has to. Faust is 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 a very much a kind of a disillusioned kind of man who is who feels he's experienced, uh, you know, all the, the drudgery of life through science, and there's there's nothing left for him that, that could impress him. He wants something visceral. That's the last thing he's, you know, he's thinking of. And uh, so as he's almost about to commit himself to the faith of God as some other higher existence, um, this is sort of the moment when Satan appears and says, oh, wait a minute, you know, here... Come with me. I'll show you all the things that that you're missing in your life, and you'll you'll experience all the passion and, and glory. You have to make a very strong impression from the very first words you mm-hmm. sing in Damnation of Faust. Isn't he fairly sarcastic from the start? Yeah, you know, in the, in the Berlioz, he's a little bit less so. There's always a certain irony to the things that he says, but there are also some very sincere moments when he's singing the uh, Rose aria. And um, this sort of lulling to sleep of Faust, it's, a, it's a, there's real genuine moments in there, which where he becomes sort of a presence and uh, more of a witness to things going on. Does he have as much charm as the Mephistopheles in the Guno can have? Uh, he's a little darker. I think this one is is a little darker. When he calls up the minuets and the and the, the sprites and the sylphs. These moments become much more playful, and you, you can hear it Im- immediately in the score. Uh, Berlioz is always so illustrative of those things um, in the way he uses the woodwinds and the flutes. There's a lot of uh, a lot of humor just put into the music. You've got three arias to sing, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, yeah. in this piece, and the first two are sung almost back to yeah. back. Yeah, very different. So, so, what are you trying to communicate in each of them? Uh, the first one, he is singing um, uh, sort of a, a drinking song uh, about a about a flea and uh, it's about very, a flea. Yes, <laughs> yes, about a flea that that becomes friends with the prince and and uh, is brought into the aristocracy, and then suddenly after the flea invites all of its friends, um, pretty much the whole court is is scratching themselves, and uh, that's that's kind of a sarcastic piece too. And uh, but then immediately following that, we have a very very lyric. Aria, the the uh, Voici des Roses, and uh, it's a challenge to go from a very character-oriented piece to, to something like that. Super legato, with pieces, yeah, yes. w- within you know a, a page and a half, basically. But this is sort of the beauty of the way he's he's written out the part. You you get all of the sort of colors of Mephisto almost immediately. And it's interesting so that both this this devil and the Guna devil, they both have serenades to sing. Yes, yes. What this, is the Berlioz like? The Berlioz is, is much the same. You know, it's, it's sort of, don't go walking into that bedroom without the ring on your finger. And it's the same kind of idea that the naivety of this, this virgin walking into a, a 
this moment of consummation without the ring. And uh, it, it's sung in a very sarcastic way, just like in the Guno. Um, but this time we have a chorus accompanying him. This is sort of chorus right. of demons, which is a brilliant, brilliant touch to it. He seems to demand everything of every singer, no matter yeah. what the vocal category. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what are the greatest challenges of just negotiating the music, forgetting about interpretation? Yeah, um, well, the music um, really is... It doesn't even really have the sort of simplicity that, that you get, excuse the term, with the Gounod. Nothing really repeats itself the same way in Berlioz. There's very little stuff that's truly strophic, unless it's specifically for reasons of character, you know, at least within the scope of Mephisto's role in the piece. But all the ensembles are very difficult. Nothing comes in at the time you would expect it to. Rhythmically, things are off, and, and, and you even hear it in the chorus parts in the very beginning. And you have that you know, trio, these, uh, which the, is really... The trio really, is, yeah. is a great part. It, it's, it, it's, it's very difficult because it, it runs like a bat out of hell. You know, excuse the term, but it... it uh, and it's high, and uh, I mean, really, it's, it's... At that point, you know, I think he puts some of the highest writing in for both the tenor and uh, for the bass, you know, it, it, in that part of the score. It, it's, it's crazy, you know. It, isn't it a little higher generally than what you encounter in the Gudo? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's I mean... It's a lot of baritones, too. More often, yeah, you'll, you'll hear baritones do it. And um, there are these moments of real sort of suave kind of lyrical singing that functions well in a, in a sort of a more lyric baritone voice. But then you have the question of how do you engage those real declamato sections and the, and where do you how do you put the darkness into the voice uh, in turn the character those sort of things all become amalgamated in, in an ideally in a, in a sort of a bass baritone voice much the same way you see with the tenor roles there is some real lyric lyric high stuff but then you have some some real strong middle singing over pretty uh, heavy orchestration and, and Paul does this amazingly well yes Paul Groves our Faust you also have a great challenge in putting the text across do you take particular joy from the French language I know some yeah. singers have have, it's have difficulty singing good French yeah well it's absolutely everything to the character it's a great libretto I mean that he's he's put together but the words really are absolutely everything to do with the character and how they are executed and and they're very um, using the colors and the sibilances uh, is, is especially important at least in the uh, doing a character of that nature I think it's wonderful that you're doing this with Susan Graham because the two of you yeah. collaborated in yeah. the Met production the new Met production yeah. last she season she is amazing I was just saying she's she's the queen of Berlioz she mean, sings she it all over the world she Absolutely. is remarkable. Um, and, of course, Paul has done tons of yeah, Foundation he, of Faust I productions think, as well. I uh, think close to 200 performances, performances yeah. of it. So yeah. uh, what about that Met Damnation of Faust in relation to the one that we're doing? These are two new productions, both radically different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very different. Um, the, the Met production was much more um, oriented in the realms of the video imagery that went along with, with it. It was uh, taken all the sort of ideas uh, suggested in the score and put it really up into uh, video projections behind us. So that was, I think, um, in quite a lot of scenes, much the primary focus, especially if you look at things like the dream 
of Faust. It worked very well in that medium. This production really explores the relationships more, and the the uh, video I think is more of a a commentary to what the characters are actually doing rather than basically creating the entire scene itself. In the Mets production, you were asked to move in a particularly graceful and sort of <laughs> diabolical kind yeah. of way. What is the physicality like in this lyric production? Yeah, this is a much more kind of modern, uh, contemporary uh, uh, characterization of the part. I mean, you don't have the sort of typical red outfit. With because you were feathered, all in red at with the With the feathered hat, you know. Yeah. Um, and this works very well. He, he comes in much more of like a, a suave kind of guy in a, in a suit, um, you know, a, a very bright blue suit, actually. Totally uh, contemporary? or uh, I would say so, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and um, just a little more out of the, the sort of stereotype of, of Mephisto that we see so much in the opera. What are the greatest attractions of the piece as a whole that you think would encourage anyone listening to this conversation to run out yeah. and buy a ticket? I, I would say Berlioz in general, this score particularly, there is such a magnitude and power to the piece. And the, the music in itself is, is almost uh, cinematographic. It's just really so uh, vivid. Uh, and, the, and yet, at the same time, it can be something very dark and visceral and ethereal in, in another scene. It's, and in the case of Marguerite, I think very poignant at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. At the start of your career, you were at Adler Fellow at San Francisco mm-hmm. Opera. Yep. What was most important about that whole Adler Fellowship experience that you can sort of take with you for the rest of your career? Yeah, I, uh, I spent uh, three, three to five nights a week on stage. Um, I was the only bass in, that, in the program that year, so I was really doing things you know, very different things every night. So I had lots of chances to perform, work with tons of different great directors and conductors and, and of course, wonderful singers who I was looking up to and still do. Um, It's a great way to kind of start to learn and test your limits, not just vocally but, you know, physically on stage. I had great opportunities to to work on you know more major roles with Lafayette Mansouri who was just one of the best people that I've ever worked with in in so far as building characters and uh, ones that you can take with you from one production to the next and they they keep growing and um, gaining more features. From there you moved on to the Met and Mm -hmm. is there of all of these new productions and major revivals that you've participated in at the Met where you've had so much success, is there one that you felt, one where you sort of accomplished really everything you wanted to achieve in a role, just a particularly yeah, um, satisfying? You know, I really, I have to, my mind always has to go to Figaro, really, because uh, I did that production four different times, and each each time I'd come back to it, there was another layer that I could put on it, and uh, new things that I'd, I'd kind of experienced about the role, maybe going to other productions, but... Um, you know, as you gain your life experience and uh, come back to a production, you can maybe, uh, it's hard to sort of put it, but sometimes you can find yourself growing out of a production in a way, like the something about it, it doesn't kind of gel with you anymore. But this one, you can do so much with it. You know, it's, it's a very, uh, very real and um, believable kind of world that, that uh, Jonathan Miller created there. You are well-established now in Europe. 
uh, places like Paris and Covent Garden and Vienna, mm-hmm. but you've also been at the Mariinsky Theater in yes. St. Petersburg, yeah. and not many Americans appear yeah. there. So I wanted to ask you specifically mm-hmm. about that. First of all, what did you sing there? I sang the title role of Aleko by Rachmaninoff. Wow. And what yeah. was it a totally traditional production? No, actually, it? it was kind of an updated, you know, it, it's, it's very much sort of a uh, similar story to Carmen, Except the rather than being kind of a a, um, a soldier, and uh, it's it's a nobleman who runs away with a gypsy girl, and uh, they but they did a they updated it a bit, but um, the uh, the overall experience of of singing in the Marinsky and working with these people who are I, I think artistically some of the most dedicated people I've ever met. They live and breathe in that in that place. I mean it, it's it's. And then the next night they'll put on, you know, Prince Igor, and it's it's for them it's 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 like just sort of putting your shoes on, you know. And but what it, an experience to be singing Russian repertoire yeah. to a Russian audience! Yes. How did that feel? Well, I, I I would be lying if I said I was wasn't nervous, but uh, you know, it was it was a, an amazing experience, really, an amazing. I had a, a, I had a big success there, and uh, uh, but just the whole kind of experience culturally. You know, being there, and of course, it being a, a, a huge honor to to sing in their language in in their most important opera house was was remarkable. Your bio lists more than fifteen internationally prominent orchestras that you've appeared with, and mm-hmm. at least ten important festivals. So, how yep. does your operatic work help your concert work, and vice versa? Yeah, they they very much complement each other. I I would say. I mean, I strive for a 50-50 balance between concert and That's opera work. That's what I figured, work. yeah. Um, but, you know, some years it's a lot heavier on, on, on the opera. Um, but, you know, when you, when you go and, and sing in, in concerts, you, you remind yourself, and the same way with recitals, you remind yourself of the importance of uh, text, you know, for, on, one, on one side of it, um, and also uh, really connecting with an audience even more. Um, because you have you have a few less barriers in your way um, doing concerts, um, you know, a few less things to negotiate, and quite often, you know, you find yourself in a, a smaller venue where you don't have to crank out quite as much sound, um, and uh, th- all those things, you know, can be taken back to opera when you go back into it and say, well, why not, you know, remind myself how important the text is in this particular spot or in this whole role, you know, it. Uh, it all those things kind of do complement one another, but it's the ideal situation is where you're you're back and forth between them at a regular enough interval that that that's that they sort of coexist. The, the d- disciplines can kind of interfuse with each other. I was sort of stunned reading your bio by the number of great conductors that you've worked with. Yeah. I mean, it's in a really amazing list. Yeah. So let me ask. Speaking of great conductors, what are you most enjoying about? the work with Sir Andrew Davis here at Lyric. Oh, well, he's, first of all, he's, he's such a joy to work with. I mean, he, he is really, he understands this score really from top to bottom, you know. He's got the right spirit for it. He's, his, his uh, joy of music really comes through in his conducting. It's, there's so much energy and electricity there. And also, he really gives singers a real chance to breathe. He's a real singer's conductor. Um, yeah, and just a just a lovely man. He's he's been a friend of my family's for quite some time. My father, who's a singer, worked with him for a good twenty years before I had a chance to work with him. So it's 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 quite fun, you know. It's it's like seeing a a friend of the family again. 
the the chemistry between Figaro and Susanna is so important. Have you and Danielle Denise done this opera together yes, before? Oh, just that's, did it actually that's at the Met in um, October. So yeah. that must must make everything uh, here so much easier. She is, yeah, she's a joy. She really is uh, just uh, one of the best acted uh, Susannas, as well as one of the best sung that I've that I've ever heard. You constantly work in major opera houses, but you also seem to make time for a certain number of recitals, and mm-hmm. you've given them in places like Wigmore Hall in London and mm-hmm. Weill Hall in New York, and actually here, University of Chicago yeah, University presents. Of Chicago. Right. Yeah. So what areas of the recital repertoire really attract you the most? Well, uh, you know, I've always been really fascinated by Russian music. Quite often when I do a recital, I'll have some Tchaikovsky on the program, and, uh, and, and of course, uh, Rachmaninoff, I'm, I'm very much... Uh, now into that as well. Do you speak the language? Nimnoga. Dorka Nimnoga. But I, I, I uh, because my fascination with Russian music was so strong, really, almost when I started singing, I worked with a Russian coach and learned to read the Cyrillic um, so that I wasn't hindered by using phonetics, you know, when I was learning a, a role. So I, I learned the rules of pronunciation, have a fairly general idea of of the language but um it's it's a fantastic language for the vowels and especially i think in lower male voices it it really you you find all the colors and uh, you know properly sung russian is not un-italianate you know and that this is the way that uh, quite often they are teaching it in russia um i also really like french music and, Do you uh, try to include a certain amount in English on your recital programs? Yeah, I, I did uh, Samuel Barber songs um, in one situation, and, and I, I mean, I, I will throw some, you know, show tunes in here and there. You know, Old Man River, of course, and some <laughs> enchanted know. evening, and some enchanted yeah, evening. Yeah. I try to keep them on alternate <laughs> programs. <laughs> you have won what I think are the two most prestigious awards that an yeah. American singer can mm-hmm. win. One is the Beverly Sills Award, it's mm-hmm. yeah. given by the Metropolitan Opera, and the other is the Richard Tucker yeah. Award. So how do you view the significance of each of these? Um, well, you know, you it's it's such an honor and when you when you receive them you you have a certain kind of validation that all of the the, the effort and um, work you've put in has has brought you to a point where internationally uh, as well as within the United States you you've been recognized as 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 achieving those things that most you know all all of us really are striving to attain in a certain um, artistic level that um, you know when it gets recognized in 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 that um, situation it's it's very much it helps you to kind of reach a new level of maturity in a way you know or understand that you're there you know and from a base you know we have so many <laughs> levels of maturity you know there's so many the career has at least two or three different phases where you 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 get into different territories and uh it was uh such an honor you know the the legacy that people like sills they've really created such an amazing world recognition of of american talent you know the symbolism of of these people saying uh, american singers are equal contenders on the international opera stage is is really what those awards mean you know it, it's 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 saying you're at that level you, you can take that and go with it too well i want to wish you all best of luck with all the performances of damnation of faust thank you so much thank you 
You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org. 